Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Matthew's Gospel, to chapter 7. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, and tonight we're going to be reading verses 15 through 20. Next week, we will, Lord willing, we will be looking at the most, what I would think, the most sobering, chilling verses in all of the Bible, perhaps, and that will be verses 21 through 23, but we'll get to those next week. But tonight, verses 15 through 20 of Matthew chapter 7. We'll read them first and we'll get going. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, um, I want to make note here that Jesus is calling upon his followers, again, to make a judgment. And we go back to the beginning of this chapter verses 1 through 6. I mean, we remember that that's, that's how this chapter began, talking about making a judgment between that which is false and that which is true. You might recall last week um, there were two ways, were the narrow and the broad. And it's, you know, we, we talked about it, it's, it's not always easy to you know, because remember the the broad road, the entrance appeared to be broad and wide and many people going, but you remember it led to destruction. The narrow way, tight, crush you, strangle you, but it led to life. And so, you know, the, the initial appearance is, is, is not always easy, especially if you just focus on the surface. And we mentioned... We mentioned last time that Jesus is, especially in chapter 7, is pointing out the difference between external righteousness and inward reality, or say it another way, external righteousness only versus internal righteousness. And we've got to keep that in mind as we continue. Again, you know, there's, we, can, we can be fooled by, we can, we can be fooled by what's external. And, and miss the inward reality, but, but God can't be, okay, and God won't be. So once again, here in this text, we see this distinction being made. We, we see you know, this, this call to, 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 to be able to, to judge and, and make a distinction, and uh, we'll, we'll see here tonight the, the, the external and the internal. You'll notice in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, in other words, outwardly, you know, outwardly there's, 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 there's one thing, but then there's what's going on inwardly, right? Uh, so as we look at verse 15, I, I, I ran, across, ran across this little story. Most of, you, most of you have heard Chuck Swindoll before on the radio, perhaps. Chuck Swindoll tells this story about an unforgettable evening when a friend of his ate dog food. Contrary to what 
we might expect. He was not starving, nor was he being initiated into a fraternity. Rather, it happened at, at an elegant physician's home near Miami. The dog food was served on delicate little crackers with a wedge of imported cheese, bacon chips, and an olive topped with a silver uh, pimento. Um, the deed was not perpetrated by an enemy, but by a friend. Uh, she had just graduated from gourmet cooking course and decided she would put her skills to the ultimate test, and, she, and, and, and did she ever. After doctoring up these miserable morsels, she placed them on a silver tray. With a sly grin, she watched them disappear. Swindoll's friend could not get enough. He kept coming back for more. Evidently, the woman's friends were a pretty laid-back group because everyone had a good laugh when she told them what they had been eating. Um, and then he goes on. Here's, here's what he goes on. He said, this is a perfect illustration of what goes on in another realm, namely religious deception. Every day, professional Christians, phony preachers, are marketing their wares on shiny platters decorated in such a way that people do not know what they're really getting. Their dishes are topped with language of orthodoxy, pious religious cliches and buzzwords, and are being eagerly consumed by the tragically grateful. They even pay for it by the millions. That should never happen, and certainly the Lord does not want it to happen. So that's a good, a good way uh, to begin these verses. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. This is a warning based on historical reality. Notice right away, again, we see the inward-outward contrast. Now, what, what Jesus is saying, first thing we want to recognize right away is that false prophets really do exist. They existed in the Old Testament, and here we have in the New Testament Jesus warning about them. So let's take, you know, we, we understand the word false, right, as, a, as opposed to true, but let's take the word Prophet, what does that mean? A prophet is fundamentally a messenger for someone else, all right? So in this case, the false prophet would, would, be, would claim to be speaking for God, okay? So what we see right away is we have someone who claims to be speaking for God, but they are a false speaker for God, all right? Uh, notice, I think you'll see some verses. I think we, we got some verses handy for you here. Uh, Matthew 24 and 11, Jesus said, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Notice the word many. Okay, Do you remember last week? Uh, who was on the, the broad road to destruction? Many, right? And here we have these words showing up again. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Now, here, here's what we want to notice right away. Um, there, there really is an objective truth from which one can deviate. Je Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. In other words, there really is objective truth. In other words, when we hear things like this, you know, sometimes a person will say, well, it's just another way of looking at it. It's just another way of thinking about it. And that, 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 is, you know, that may be true in some, some cases, but when, you, when you're talking about the Scripture, in other words, let's say, um, Jesus, for example, Jesus being the only way of salvation. If someone comes along and says, well, there's another way of looking at that. Well, no, not, not really, you see. And so there really is objective truth that we can deviate from, and hence the warning here, beware of false prophets. Now, I want to look at two things about these false prophets. One, they are dangerous. Number two, 
they are deceptive. Let's take dangerous first. They're dangerous in that Jesus calls them wolves. Okay? Now, he doesn't mean that literally. Of course, you know that. Okay? But it's interesting that he uses this word wolves. And, and why do you think that would be? Why do you think he? You know, why, why doesn't he say? Well, why doesn't he say? Beware of false prophets who come in you know, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're the ravenous uh, dogs or ravenous tigers. I mean, why, why, does, why do you think he uses wolves, sheep? There you go. There it is. Perhaps he's using wolves because wolves are the natural enemy of sheep, and so often, so often the Bible uses. Uh, the imagery of sheep as the people of God. We are the sheep of his pasture, you see. So it's interesting that Jesus would use the word wolf. Wolves are the natural enemy of the sheep. I want you to see a verse in Acts chapter 20 that will help us here. Paul, Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus. He's getting ready to depart there. The, 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 he's talking to the elders uh, at, 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 uh, at Ephesus. And he gives them this warning. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Now, he, again, he's, he's not talking about literal wolves, all right? Um, but they're going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men. Now, there you go. It's not literal wolves. It's people speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, notice here... Uh, Jesus uses the word ravenous wolves in our text, but here Paul uses the word fierce wolves, all right? Uh, Now, why don't they just say wolves? Why don't they just say wolves? No, they, they, they add this ravenous and fierce. What do you suppose, what do you suppose that means? Hmm? I'm sorry? Yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, ravenous, fierce. Um, in other words, they will destroy every sheep in the flock if not detected. That's 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 really what it's getting at. They they will not they will not stop with one or two. Okay, they they will work through the entire flock if they're left undetected. These wolves. These ravenous, fierce wolves are responsible for often leading some people to the very destruction they claim does not exist. In other words, take, take, the, false, take the false prophet who would say, eh, you know, I don't know, I don't know about this hell thing. I don't know about this destruction thing. And I'm, I'm reading a, a book right now on the history of universalism. And uh, universalism, of course, teaches that we're, we're all going to be saved in the end everybody even the devil <laughs> even the devil's going to be okay in the end um so th- these wolves can actually be responsible for leading people to the very destruction that they say doesn't exist that's kind of interesting and it may not be what they say it may be what they leave out okay so it's not just what the false prophet the ravenous wolf says which sometimes that can be detected you know it may be what they leave out and they might even suggest that the narrow gate that we were looking at last week they might even suggest that the narrow gate is not as narrow as it may seem let me give you a couple examples okay um 
few years back. Remember when you remember when Mitt Romney was running for president? Okay, uh, Joel Osteen was on CNN being interviewed by Wolf Blitzer, and he was asked this. Wolf Blitzer asked Joel this question: "said What if one of your members comes to you and says, you know, Mitt Romney, vote for Mitt Romney, but he's a Mormon. I'm not sure he's even a Christian." What would you say, Joel? What would you What would you say to him? Here, here's his answer. I'm not, I'm not adding anything to it. I just read what he said. When I hear Mitt Romney say that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, and that he was raised from the dead, and that he is the Savior, that's good enough for me. We don't all share the same views. I realize that Mormonism is not traditional Christianity, but I'm probably a little broader and more open in that when somebody loves Jesus and believes that he's the Son of God, that's good enough for me. Now, on the, on, on the surface, that, that may sound like, well, isn't that good enough? And, of course, you, you'd, have to ask, you'd have to ask a little deeper when, when, when a Mormon, period, I just met Romney, but when a Mormon speaks about Jesus, we need to be clear, is it the Jesus of the Bible, see? And, and, and that's where the hitch is at, you see? See, it's, it's, it's like we mentioned a moment ago, a lot of people can talk about God, but is it, is it the triune God? See, uh, Same way about Jesus. People can talk about Jesus, but is it the Jesus who rose from the dead? It, or, or, or is it a Jesus who has Satan as a brother? See, So in, in Mormonism, there, there's, there's, you, you'll find the talk. You'll find the, the religious jargon. But when you, you know, it's, it's like a balloon. You'll see a balloon here, and, you know, have all the religious, it's kind of like the religious jargon the balloon is, but then you follow the string down to where it, where it leads, the root of it, and then you find poison, okay? So for, I guess I read this simply because he said, Joel said, but I'm a probably a little broader. <laughs> I'm a little broader. <laughs> Uh, when maybe he needs to little, be a little more narrower, you see. Because, again, a false prophet may suggest that the narrow gate, it's not as narrow as, it's not now, it's not as narrow as we think it is, but Jesus said it was narrow. Then there is, uh, then there is the, uh, let me see if I can find it readily here, there is the, uh, uh, oh yes, there it is. There is, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago about Rachel Hollis, uh, she has a brand new book out called Girl, Wash Your Face. Girl, Wash Your Face. Um, and man, it's a hot book. It's a hot book. And she, she claims to be a hot-blooded, red-blooded Christian, you know. Uh, but, um, again, when you follow the string down, okay, uh, she writes this about religious pluralism. She said, just because you believe just because you believe it doesn't mean it's true for everyone. In other words, just because you believe Christian faith, it doesn't mean that it's true for everyone. She said, faith is one of the most abused instances of this. We decide that our religion is right, therefore every other religion must be wrong. Very slippery there. Very slippery. You know, because is, Christi is, is Christianity exclusive? Yes. It believes in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way of salvation. But Rachel Hollis and many others, many others uh, who come, come under the radar say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And they, they put their book out and, and 
then, you, again, follow the string down, and, and you find that uh, things are not always what they seem to be. Uh, so um, let's, let's, look at, uh, let's look at a passage in, uh, in 2 Peter. See, for Peter, it may be, it may be um, do you have that? Uh, yeah, no, that's not it. Yeah, there we go. Um, for Peter, it may be spreading false doctrine for a false prophet, or it may be denying them, their master by their behavior. Notice these verses. And many will follow their sensuality. He's talking about false teachers. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So no, notice here, it says, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Notice, because of the way they live. It's not, it's not just what they teach, okay? Here, it's, it's, it's how they live. It's, they, in other words, they deny their master by their very behavior. So, uh, not only not only do they mislead others regarding the narrow way, they, they themselves sometimes just do not live up to what they are teaching others. And so, first, there's the danger. There's the danger of the wolf. But then, secondly, there is uh, the deceptiveness as you look at verse 15, do you, do you see anything there that speaks of the deceptiveness of the false prophets? And, and if you do, what is it? I'm sorry? Well, beware, but do you see anything else in that verse that, that sounds deceptive? Sheep's clothing. There it is. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they, they, they don't come in wolf's clothing, Right? They don't, they don't show up and say, I'm a ravenous wolf, you know, or, you know, just like the devil. devil doesn't show up and say, you know, I'm devil's here. You know, no, it's, he comes, what is an angel of light, uh, Paul said. So there's the danger of false prophets, but then also there's, you might say, there's the danger of the deceptiveness. Uh, they, they disguise themselves. That's what Jesus is saying here. When they, they'll come in sheep's clothing, they'll, They'll, what does that mean? They'll look like sheep. They'll, they'll blend in, you know. Um, they disguise themselves. And again, what's the first word in verse 15? Beware, beware, beware. It's only, there's only uh, another place that I can think of that Jesus uses uh, the beware. Beware of covetousness. Do you notice he never, Jesus never says, you know, beware of murder. Never says beware of adultery. Beware of fornication. Like, you know, like all of a sudden you wake up and go, oh, oh, you're not my wife. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know it's, it's, it's never that, is it? No. It's, it, it's not beware of that. We, we know, you know, we know. But covetousness, that's a little different. We don't, it's, covetousness is not so recognizable, or, or another word for it, be greed, beware of greed. We don't, you know, I, I remember a, a preacher who... Um, preacher who was preaching at another location he he was doing a series on the seven deadly sins and uh his wife asked him said you know the the crowd was you know people it was businessmen coming his crowd was really good during the you know during the week and uh she asked he said you know what what are you speaking on this this you know this week and he said well you know you name it which one he said she said which week are you going to be speaking on greed and uh she, he, she said, or he said, well, so-and-so week. And he, she said, watch and see, that'll be the least attended. And sure enough, it was. <laughs> because nobody thought they were greedy. 
See, and, and the same here. This beware, be beware of false prophets. You see, but why? Because they come in sheep's clothing. It's like, again, they don't show up announcing themselves. Beware, be on guard, watch out. We must look beyond the appearance. Again, uh, we must look beyond the surface uh, to the reality. Okay. And, uh, you know, for example, what is under the fleece? Is it a wolf or is it a sheep? Uh, thought you might like this true story. Um, this lady, she's, she's a passionist, passionate animal care activist out in San, San Antonio, Texas. And uh, she rescued what appeared to be two abandoned kittens. She got them home, and they were kind of aggressive. In fact, they were so aggressive that the feeding bottles that, that she was using, they, they, they tore them to pieces. <laughs> they tore the feeding bottles all to pieces. And she began to be like, yeah, something's not right here. Something don't seem right. And it turned out that they were two, the two kittens were actually bobcats. <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, point here is this, you know, um, uh, what's under the fleece? Is it, is it a wolf or is it, is it a sheep? Which one is it? Now, you may say, well, good grief. That's going to be impossible. That's going to be impossible to figure out. Is it really? Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Jesus gives us a tip. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them. You might read it at first and we go, well, good grief. I mean, they're going to come in sheep's clothing and they're not going to announce themselves. And, you know, man, how, how, how could you possibly ever figure that out? How could you? Well, Jesus said, you will recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, for for example, this is not an impossible situation. It's not impossible. It it may go undetected for for some bit. It may very well do that. Again, uh, they're they're disguising themselves. But in time, in time. um, I thought this the other day. I remember, um, goodness, back in the 80s, back back in the 1980s, I was listening to a broadcast, uh, Hank Henningraff, the Bible Answer Man. Loved it, and, and, and still, still, it's still on the air today. Loved it. And what I liked about it was because, you know, it, actually there were many times that, you know, if, you, if you've ever listened to Hank Henningraff, you ever listened to, you, you know that it's an apologetics ministry and is also a defender of the faith, and they, they expose. <laughs> they expose a lot of the false prophets. And so on his broadcast, he would often name names. You know, he, would, he would actually, you know, be, beware of this. Beware of this person. Beware of that person. And um, one, of the, one of the persons that he was constantly um, naming was Benny Hinn, uh, rightfully so. And, uh, but, boy, Benny got upset. Benny got upset. <laughs> and you can watch this on YouTube. You can, you can watch this on YouTube. Uh, he got he on TBN live one evening. He he got he got wired up, and he looked at the camera and you know you you know he didn't name Hank, but he just said you know you you people out there with your programs, your radio programs, you stop naming names. You stop naming names. You see because they were naming him, and you'll see on the overhead what he said next. This is an exact quote: "Quit attacking men of God. Someone is attacking me because something I am teaching." Let me tell you something, brother. You watch it. Dear God in heaven, I wish I could. I've looked for just one verse in the Bible. I can't seem to find it. One verse that said, if you don't like them, then kill them. I wish I could find it. Sometimes I wish God would give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'd blow your head off. (laughs) 
You, you can watch this on YouTube, okay? It, it'll, you know, it lives with you to haunt you, you know? Uh, but it was pretty clear that he was talking about Hank, you know. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because I remember hearing during the 80s a lot of controversy over should you name names. You know, some were saying, some were, you know, really upset, oh, you should be naming names. You should be naming names, you know. And others were saying, yeah, yeah, we should be naming names. I fall on the side of we should be naming names. I'll tell you why. You'll see a verse in 1 Timothy. Paul said, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul named names. Paul named names. Now, I, don't, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that a church would, you know, appreciate every week uh, a systematic going after this person and going after that person, and, you know, the, every, every week. But, there, there are occasionally some times that names have to be named. You know, I've actually said a few names tonight and don't regret it a bit. But um, Paul, I guess my point is Paul named names. You know, so you know, they're, they're going to hear the argument sometimes. I don't need to be naming names, that kind of stuff. And uh, again, not, not going after the person, okay? But not going after the person per se, but going after what they teach. See, that's, that's a different thing altogether. Uh, not, not trying to attack a person, but just saying, look, because you know, we're all going to be responsible for what we say and what we teach, you know, see? So, now, here's where, here's where we need to draw a line now, okay? We've been, we're talking about false prophets. And I, I want to I look at something together that I hope will help us, okay? And, and help us to exercise caution. Because, again... Sometimes it, it, you know, there, there are some ministries out there that they live to go after other people, okay? I mean, they, they exist, and it's like every time you turn it on, there's this constant going after and going after. Sometimes it's justified, but sometimes it may not be. And let me give you an example. You'll see on the overhead passages from Acts chapter 18. Let's look at this together. Now, a Jew named Apollos, native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. The next verse reads, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, some of you are familiar with that passage, but just, just want to ask you a question. Was could we qualify Apollos as a false prophet? No. Did, did he have everything right? Was he, was, he, was he accurate before Priscilla and Aquila took him aside? No. He wasn't accurate, okay? But he wasn't a false prophet, okay? See, Apollos was not a false prophet. He wasn't evil. He wasn't trying to mislead or deceive or exploit anyone. He was, however, mistaken about one important thing. He wasn't preaching the right baptism. So this Christian couple, Priscilla and Aquila, take him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. See, we, we don't know how long, we don't know how long it took Priscilla and Aquila to teach Apollos the way more accurately, but we do know that they did not treat him like a false prophet. 
Okay? They treated him as a fellow brother. He wasn't a false teacher. He was just simply misinformed or uninformed. And so just want to make that distinction. Because, you know, we, we all... I, I would consider myself learning, okay? I, I want to learn. I want to I grow in grace and my understanding of the Word of God. And so uh, I, I, I bring this up simply to, to, to point out two things. Not everyone who teaches something wrong is a false teacher, okay? It, you know, again, we'd have, to, we'd have to think about the motive. Are they intending to mislead or deceive or exploit someone? That, then, then that's a problem, okay? But if someone is misinformed, will, will they demonstrate the fruit of humility to, to be corrected if necessary? See, that's, that's the thing. Are we teachable? That's, that's what I'm getting at. Are we teachable or are we not? See? And so just want to make that distinction here because, again, you know, we don't want to. We don't want to get on this trajectory of going going after everybody. You might hear somebody misstate something, or uh, uh, you know, you, you might go, "I don't know if they've got that right." Well, then, does that mean they're a false teacher, or or, or is it just that they're misinformed? See, just making that distinction. Now, notice in verse sixteen and the following verses, a lot of mention about fruit, fruit. You will recognize them by their fruit. And then he, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? We'll get to that in a minute. But verse 17, uh, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. So fruit, fruit, fruit. This is one of our Lord's favorite metaphors for illustrating that our words and deeds are governed by our heart. Uh, so when we talk about fruit, we're talking about words and deeds, Okay. Uh, Matthew 12 and 35, let's look at that verse. Uh, Yes, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Now, you you wonder, you know, why is he he using the the word treasure there? Well, he's he's talking about heart. The good person out out of his good treasure, good heart, brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Words, deeds, that sort of thing. The tree, the tree is a is a person's heart or their nature. The fruit is his words or deeds. And as the condition of a tree determines the fruit it bears, so a man's heart determines his behavior. See, so you know what what when we when we see you know whether it be words or uh, deeds, it 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 can again follow the string, follow the string down to. The heart. Therefore, that's that's why that's why we're told we need a new heart. You see, that's the problem. We need a new heart. Uh, verse uh, verse sixteen: Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, um, D. A. Carson in his commentary that this is I thought helpful said he points out that in Jesus's day everyone knew that the buckthorn had little black berries which could be mistaken for grapes. And that there was a thistle whose flower from a distance might be mistaken for a fig. But no one, again, he's he's talking about from a distance, okay? But he goes on, but no one would confuse the buckthorn and the grape once he started to use the fruit to make some wine. So either from a distance, from a distance, the external kind of look, they kind of look the same here, but, but up close, no one would no one would be taken in by the thistle flowers when it came to eating figs for supper, right? See, so in, in other words, 
what the point is this sooner or later the truth will come out that's the point sooner or later verse 20 okay thus you will recognize them by their fruits uh the fruit that jesus looks for is a life that is growing in conformity to the norms of his kingdom that's what this whole Sermon on the Mount, this kingdom living. Here's how, here's how, you, you know, you, here's how you live in the kingdom. Or here's another way of saying it. Here's how you live as, as God's children. Here's how you live in the family of God. Um, th- this is the fruit that you are to bear. Um, what, what would that be? Let's kind of walk through a few of them. Internal righteousness that leads to external righteousness. See, what, we, what we've been warned of here all through this sermon is there are going to be those who have an external righteousness, but they lack the internal reality, okay? So what fruit would Jesus expect from his followers who have been saved by grace? Well, he, he would call for internal righteousness. That does lead to external righteousness, right? Secondly, another fruit, transparent humility. Thirdly, I'm just naming some here. Purity, trusting and persistent prayerfulness, obedience to Jesus' words, truthfulness, generosity, love. Those are fruit. In fact, you can expand this to include Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. You see. In other words, we are expected to bear fruit. And again, You'll recognize them by their fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Again, that, that, that's, that's, not at all, that's not at all teaching perfectionism, not even close. But a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a de- diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus is just pointing out, Jesus pointing out that, again, as we mentioned, a tree is a, is a man's heart, okay? It's, it's their nature. And, and, and once we have been given a new heart, we are, we are to bear fruit that is consistent with that. A good standard here would, 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 would be this as we, so we try to bring this down to uh, some semblance of a close. A good standard would be this, where doctrinal faithfulness may not be detected immediately. In other words, this sheep's clothing, this wolf wrapped in sheep's clothing may not be detected immediately. The fruit test is eventually a safe guide. That's what Jesus is making point here. We, 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 again, you know, verse 15, you go, he's in sheep's clothing. He's he come to you in sheep's clothing. But, again, you're recognized by the fruits. In other words, he's saying, keep an eye on the fruit. You, you may not be able to detect it with doctrinal faithfulness. You know, so, so, some, some may be able to pick up on that, okay? Maybe pick, pick up on that fairly quickly or or, or, or sooner than later, but but fruit, dif- different different thing altogether. The fruit test is eventually a safe guide, and this this all kinds of comes down to this in our in our pluralistic tolerant culture, it will seem hateful, it will seem even unkind to speak of people as false prophets. You know, we we live in a again we live in a judge not culture, right? And so 
it, 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 it's going it's gonna, to, it's, it's never going to be, especially now, it's never going to be a popular thing to speak of someone or identify someone as a false prophet. And that's why I think surely you can see how important Jesus' teaching is in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. This, remember, we, we, we started this chapter with this judge not, but then here's how you judge. Here's, you know, this, whole, this whole thing begins with being able to discern, being able to pay attention, watch closely. Things are not going to always be what they appear to be. There's going to be the ex- external, but then we, but, but, but we need to think about the, the internal, see. So next week we will, once again, we once again see this, this external and inward reality. We'll see it in verses 21 through 23, and we'll see it when we finally close up in verses 24 through 27. It's the same, same theme over and over again throughout this chapter. External, internal. Um, you know, when we get to the house, we're not able to, to see the foundation. We, it, you know, just one's built on a rock, one's built on sand. It's not until a storm comes that we see how things are going to turn out, right? Okay. Uh, next week, verses 21 through 23, uh, on that day, Jesus said, on that day, on what day? On, the, on judgment day. We're not, we're, may not know right now. You know? I mean, because we're going to see next week, and again, I think these are some of the most sobering, frightening passages in all the Bible. There's people in ministry. When you read verses 21 through 23, they're, they're in ministry. They're involved in Christian ministry. And again, externally you look and you go, okay, it all seems cool. Everything seems right. And, and Jesus says, on that day, on that day, I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Like, th- that, that's when the internal reality is going to be exposed.